and action. Welcome to another edition of Sounding Board. It is Wednesday, the sixth of May, twenty twenty, and let's be let's be honest. We were going to talk about coronavirus and COVID nineteen anyway, but there's been a little bit of news. It's unavoidable, wouldn't you say, Nick? Today, uh, yes, and I, I don't know whether you saw this last night when it when it broke, um, but by by the morning, uh, well, in that in that kind of hour before I went to bed. I was on Twitter, and it was basically the only thing there. Whereas, yeah, you, you know, even when there's a, a key bit of news, your Twitter feed will still be a bit, you know, a bit varied. Uh, but this was wholly different, and and in fact, this morning as well, the the density of posts relating to Neil Ferguson getting caught with his pants down, um, it was just so high. Uh, and so it, I think I think this is this is big news. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's made all the daily newspapers, even the BBC have you know run a story on it. Obviously, obviously they're trying to mute it a little bit. Um, but isn't this fantastic? Uh, I, I just think it, so. Any poetic justice is funny. You know, it, it's just one of those things that you can't help you can't help but laugh at it. Well, certainly, you know, you'd, for me, you'd, you'd you'd have to have a heart of stone not to find this funny. I mean. It, Talk about hoist by his own petard, you know. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I mean, he was uh, it's a booted because of a booty call, as my wife put it earlier. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just the, the whole. I mean, it's the, the, so the, the I, puns the, possible though. I mean, she's called stats. I mean, oh, uh, I know. There's, there's been so much good content on Twitter surrounding. I mean, you know, the people have already been calling him Doctor Lockdown and stuff like that, and so obviously you then get all the play on words about pants down and whatever else but the fact that you know any, any good scientist likes to massage the stats you know all this kind of stuff <laughs> yeah what are you doing this evening neil i'm, I'm doing stats yeah yeah it, exactly um uh, i mean obviously everyone knows this now i i can't imagine any of our listeners don't um don't know about this story i i just love the double standards this is classic i'm gonna i'm gonna get all brendan and neil now this is just elitism isn't it yeah, it is. It's it's do as I do as I say, not don't don't do as I do. Um, and it's 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 astounding. The so have you noticed the difference in reaction between people broadly on the left and people broadly on the right? Uh, oh yeah, or, or, or you know people people broadly for lockdown and, and broadly against it, and people you know right wingers and the, and the, the kind of the more kind of freedom loving people um, tend to be they don't like they don't like to be seen to be gloating. Because they they feel that they're already kind of cast as like nasty people, so they don't they don't they don't often like to, to gloat about this or to, to even laugh about it, and and you know some of them are saying, well you know he actually did, he actually didn't really do anything wrong. Yes, he did he did get COVID nineteen early on, and he probably was immune. Therefore, you know we should be embracing this and we should be encouraging this kind of thing. It's like hang on a second. He, you know, he 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 was the, the whole reason for the lockdown. He had one set of rules uh, with no exceptions, and he was just, you know, just blatantly flaunting them. And and you've got the you've got the other people like on the left who, who are the pro lockdown people who are saying, oh well, lives will be lost. We need to reinstate him immediately. Uh, you know, he's he's responsible for saving thousands of lives. Uh, this is an absolute travesty. And it's, you know, if if it personally, I don't think he's done anything. 
wrong in the same way that I don't think I did anything wrong going around to, 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 to you and helping you build a, yeah. you know, your, your climbing frame in, in your back garden. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I don't think that's the, not you know, the point. Is it? That is no, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. It's the fact that it's a double standard. He's been, he's been caught out by his own rules. You, you live by the sword, you die by the sword as far as I'm concerned. And it's, it's difficult to feel sympathy for anybody who has put 65 million people under house arrest with no evidence whatsoever, particularly, and, and we'll go into this in a minute, but particularly with his a, appalling track record. Um, so I, th- I think, yeah, laugh away. If, if, you're, if you're in a position of authority like that, um, then you are fair game. You are absolutely fair game, um, as yes. far as I'm concerned. I think, I think that's right. Um, now... I'm not. I'm not saying this in his defence, but the kinds of things that I've been seeing in his defence are that he wasn't the one who came up with the rules. He's not the government, etc., etc., etc. It's not his lockdown. He just produced this model. That's right. This ridiculous, scary model that simulated hundreds of thousands of dead. Um, now, yes, he's not the ones that came. He's not the one that came up with the specific government guidance. But you can bet, bearing in mind he's the head of the team of people. He was the one basically in charge in Sage, the government advisory committee. Um, you can you can bet your bottom dollar that he was coming up with elements that have very much become this guidance. But again, well, he, he, none of so that he, matters. Yeah. So he he said that if we didn't if if we don't lock down. 250,000 people could die. Yes. Basically but, what he said. But, but none of that matters because the point is, is that in his heart of hearts, he thinks that he can make an individual choice and and be fine. And the point I've been making in the, over the last 24 hours uh, to people is, ah, maybe people can make individual decisions. Maybe what he did was absolutely fine in in you know, in his situation, in the same way as you said when you came over and helped me build the climbing frame for the kids, and in countless other examples where you and I made a decision based on risk, he made a decision based on risk. I'm not even going to go into the, the specifics. I mean, it's frankly the fact that it was having an affair with a married woman, and I, I don't even care whether she was in some open marriage or whatever. It's just, I mean, that's that's what's funny. It's not that he was caught doing the shopping anywhere or that someone popped around for any other reason. It's it's just frankly amusing that he was getting his end away, as far as I'm concerned. But but the 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 point that he thought he was above the rules, it says that well, surely we can all feel the same way as well. And it's that inherent unfairness that makes you want to gloat over it. Yeah, and I, and I think I think highlighting the unfairness is is a good thing. Um, you know, it, 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 it's you know the the more we draw attention to this, the more people will start to think. Hang on, maybe I can make an individual decision as well. Because exactly. that's that's my angle. Is it me, or is it that particularly people involved in the health ministries are the ones that seem to be making the 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 biggest mistakes? Um, you obviously had the Scottish. Um, Scottish one. I don't, I don't know if she was a minister, but she was like the chief medical officer or something like that. And she got caught going to her second home or something, didn't she? And she had to resign. Um, I read this morning 
that well yeah because needs- there, there's been precedent hasn't there that's why that's, that's one of the reasons he had to resign is because two or three other people in uh, you know not similar positions but you know uh, you know it, it involved in health have flaunted his rules and they've resigned as well so he he had no choice the uh, the new zealand health minister um drove like 200 miles to the beach and all this kind of stuff um flouting their rules he had to resign um those those setting the rules um, are, are the ones it seems most likely to break them. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Maybe I mean whether that's whether it's that they think they're better than than, than everybody else and that they're above the law. Whether they're just dumb. Whether it's a combination of both. Well, possibly. We certainly know their intelligence levels, but um, I think it's the feeling of um, it's it's the feeling of being God. I think. I think this is classic um, power going to your head uh, and thinking that you deserve to be special and thinking, oh, you know, this this is a guy whose who's, who's computer model for all its many flaws, maybe we should come into that in a bit, um, and, and uh, his studies and his work, uh, you know, he's on this emergency committee advising the prime minister. It, people are saying to him, you're really special. You're really important. He produces this report, <laughs> a, a, a report not even peer-reviewed. You know, re- regardless of how bad you may think the peer review system is, this wasn't even peer-reviewed. And and then the government has gone right. Based on your data, we're going to we're going to do the most draconian lockdown that this country's ever seen. He must be feeling special. He must be feeling like his say matters and that his opinion matters. And so in his head, I'm saying this is totally natural. This is the way that human beings work. And so that something in his head has said, so if I make another judgment call that only affects me and my mistress, I must be right about that too. Yeah, so I think I think the sorts of people who want to be in power, you know, the people people opposite to, to you, opposite from you and I, the sorts of people who want to be in power. They, what, one thing that's common with them is that they all think they're better than than everybody else. And I, I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to sound like Brendan O'Neill now, but they, they all think people aren't clever enough to govern themselves. They need people like us to do it for them. Uh, so we will we will govern with these kind of broad strokes for everybody else. But yeah. us, we're clever enough to make our own decisions. Um, so they don't think they don't think the rules apply because because they, they they see themselves as being cleverer and more capable than everybody else. Would you see that as cutting across left and right wing? Yes, yeah, for sure. Good, because sure. I would as well. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I I suppose I learnt I learnt more about um, about the left wing when I was growing up. I learnt more about communism. This is this is you know the fact that we grew up at the end of the Cold War and all this kind of stuff. You know, fall of the Berlin Wall, all of that. I learnt much more about the concept of elitism to do with communism. Than I did with um, with the right wing, um, but I think it's absolutely a, a feature of statism, authoritarianism in general. Yeah, and I, and I remember specifically getting confused as a kid because you'd get you get taught about fascism and, and Nazism, you know, in in schools about you know the you know you know populations being you know under elite control there's this this kind of high governing elite that kind of controls everything and then i remember looking into communism and thinking 
hang on a second, this is this is exactly the same thing. Um, not really knowing the difference between the left and the right, but just understanding that in, in both of these obnoxious ideologies, you've got one elite group controlling everything. Now, the, as we've discussed, the way that they control everything is different. But ultimately, um, it's 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 all it's all elitism. Yeah. Did um, you see? We, okay, now go ahead. Did you see Carol Coswallop's tweet about Neil Ferguson? Oh, she put it. She put a few out, didn't she? I, I'm I'm still I'm still not convinced that she's not a creation of Andrew Doyle. Because <laughs> she's just it's you know it's almost beyond parody. You know, if you if you if you read if you read those tweets with somebody else's name, you didn't know it was her, you'd think, hang on a second, nobody can be that stupid. Yeah. No, no, you know, you are, you are trying it on and nobody will fall for it. It's almost, you know, they, they almost kind of go beyond to Tiny McGrath sort of tweets, don't they, sometimes? Yeah, I, I'm afraid um, to with, say with they conspiracy do. theories. Um, you know, uh, no, a- absolutely. Um, did you see the one about her saying that um, uh, he was only doing it, he was only doing it in the privacy of his own home? <laughs> did you see that? Yes, I did. Yeah, that was that was in it like a thread of a few tweets, wasn't it? It, it was. It was the second or third, um, and and she literally put it in stars. He broke them in the privacy of his own home. Honestly, who is the country if we don't defend that? Um, Christopher Snowden of the IEA um, posted all round to my house tomorrow night. I'm going to break the lockdown in the privacy of my own home. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. He's so good at this. But it's but that it's so easy to point that out, though, isn't it? It's would everyone like to come round to the privacy of my own home, my own home? And and for someone like her to suddenly advocate for private property and everything surrounding it, uh, and you know, these kind of rights, I I find hilarious. They 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 reach for these kind of things at the at the most awkward moments for them. They do, and, and normally normally what someone on her, you know, if, if you or I said something like that, somebody on her side would normally say, "Yeah, but how do you get to your? How, how did this other person get to your home?" They had to use public transport. That yeah, it's yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, can can we can we turn for a second? Because I, I don't I don't want to. I mean, I'm, I'm more than happy for this to be this section to be all about Neil Ferguson. But I don't, can we can we turn to his track record? Ah, just so just for a moment. Move, just to, move from gloat fest um, more onto a proper critique. Well, so this is this is why this is why I, I yes, this is why I don't like him. Um, uh, so I've, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a few things. I mean, he's been he's been he's been the bane of people's lives for you know for almost twenty years now. Go on, then. I I know this all, but give give us give us the greatest hits. Yeah. So for for our listeners, so in the the, the first time, and, and this is probably the one that's uh, this I've heard mentioned uh, frequently very recently. So it's the do you remember Foot and Mouth in two thousand and one? Very much so. Yeah. So he he worked on the research that led to the you know the mass culling of hundreds of thousands of animals for that, which was yeah. um, you know again af- afterwards thought to be a, thought to be a bad idea and, and, and unnecessary. That was in two thousand and one. In two thousand and two, he predicted that between fifty and fifty thousand people could die from exposure to BSC, yeah, mad mad cow okay. disease in beef. Um, and he also predicted that the number could rise to one hundred and fifty thousand if there was a sheep ep- epidemic. In the UK, there are fewer than two hundred deaths. Yeah. Okay, so com- com- completely wrong, completely wrong. In two thousand and five, he claimed that up to two hundred million people could be killed from bird flu. Um, in in an interview, oh, this was he, all with you the know, Guardian. H five N one scare. 
Yeah, so he compared it with the Spanish flu in The Guardian uh, and said that, in quotes, there are six times more people on the planet now, so you could scale it up to around 200 million people probably. What I find Again, really a few interesting... Hundred, a few hundred people died worldwide of that. What I find interesting, and I know you've got more to say on this uh, in, with his track record, what is it about um, left-wingers when they're in government and they're in power get make sure they get the advice of left wingers right wingers when they're in power seem to just like the advice of left wingers yeah because they don't the right wingers again and this is the, this is they they don't want to be seen to be nasty or elitist or just just picking their own people so they always try and idiots kind of yeah yeah they always they always try and and kind of you know behave as if they wish their opponents would do and but it, it never works they always they always try and see to be okay we're we're, we're seeking a, you know like a cross party solution the other side literally doesn't do it i know never never it just doesn't just doesn't happen these appointees to quangos and whatever else um, they're they're never right wingers. They're, they're just you know never. Um, but anyway, that's just a little observation. Yeah, and, and, the, and, the, right, and the right the right wingers never you know never get rid of the appointees either. You know when they get yes. in power, we've, we've had a conservative government for you know th- ten years now, and yeah, uh, yeah nothing. Um, so yeah, no, I'm not finished by the way. So 2000, <laughs> this is the last one. 2009. Um, so his team predicted that swine flu. Um, had a case fatality rate of between 0.3 percent and 1.5 percent. Um, uh, with the most likely estimate landing at 0.4%. Um, a government estimate based on his advice uh, was that a reasonable worst-case scenario was that the disease would lead to 65,000 UK deaths. Uh, it killed 457. Um, so the actual mortality rate... So this, uh, he said that the likely mortality rate was 0.4%. The actual mortality rate was 0.026%. Yeah. So he is just been absolutely catastrophically wrong every single time he's been consulted so why why people even listen to him in the first place is just it's, it's beyond me so he's been proven been... to be wrong every single time every single time without fail sounds like communism maybe maybe neil ferguson the real neil ferguson has never been tried <laughs> you beat me to it damn it <laughs> um yeah, so there've been calls for for a while, well, since since the lockdown started, since the fact that this Imperial College study in model or whatever uh, it was has been public, um, or been yeah, the results made public, to for him to open up his code, for him to release the source code. Well, yeah, it's it's like fourteen, it's fourteen year old code that's never been seen by anybody else. It's he was embarrassed what- by it. Well, yeah, he 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 wouldn't he would he he said it yeah you know, it wasn't it wasn't refactored at all it was just uh, you know yeah. he, he he was he was afraid to to release it um, yeah and and he and he said oh I've given it to GitHub and Microsoft and they're working on it to try and make it easier for people to look at and all this kind of stuff now the open source community which right now certainly if, if only if all you're looking at is is the UK that's still you know quite a a big group of, um, of 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 people that potentially want to get in and understand this, and let alone make it better. Um, yeah, including you. You know, you, you'd want to get into this. You've got the time. Oh, sure. To, yeah, to yeah. Get into it. Um, well, like I, I'm pleased to say that they've released something um, today. Yes. Um, I, and I wasn't aware of that. I've only seen early um, early reports about it. Um, I literally just before we started recording, 
uh, was reading about a Google engineer. This was on um, uh, Lockdown Skeptics, uh, Toby Young's um, new website during this this, this period. Um, and uh, someone's very quickly gone through and tried bits out um, and and tried to understand it. Uh, and well, I recommend people go and go and read that particular review. We'll put a we'll put a link to it in the description of uh, of this podcast. Uh, certainly, anyone who's who works in the software industry or works in tech uh, will very easily be able to recognise um, bad method methodology when when they see it. Um, it's it's really bad. It's it it's it's uh, the only way I can say this. Look, I say I work in software, okay. And I have a I have a software development background, but I was never a true software developer. Okay, I was a hobbyist, and in fact, that's how people are, are describing him. And reading about how he's made this code makes me think about the stuff that I've wrote in the past. Now, there's stuff that I've written that is still at the core of of um, of software that we're still using today um, in our products. Uh, it's still fine. Um, it could be a hell of a lot better. And at the same time, it's it's kind of only good at the moment because there's no need to touch it. Whereas if you want to update it, you want to improve it, you've basically got to start again because of the way I've built it. And I built it on my own. I built it. I'm self-taught. I didn't, I, did, I didn't follow any kind of methodology whatsoever. But I got to a point really quite a while ago where I knew that was wrong. And where I knew I needed to hire software developers to do it properly. And so I haven't written a line of code in years because I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want to fall down the, these traps and make the same mistakes that he has. But what's happened is, is over the years, they found bugs and then either just said they don't matter or tried to fix them. But the bugs do the same things. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. Either they don't matter or you really need to fix them. The worst part of it, which you'll read when you have a look and maybe you'll get into it, is that they they think, this, I, I use the word think here because it's so crazy. And that's maybe even a, not fair to the term think. <laughs> they have to run it multiple times and take the average. Now, what's that about? What sort of what sort of model can you not put the same data in and get the same data out at the other end of it? And this so is a that... fundamental flaw in this model is that it can be wildly out. So what they've said you have to do is is you have to run it loads of times and take the average. So hang on a second. So you you have a series of inputs. Yeah. And with this with this model, you cannot guarantee the outputs from the same inputs. Nope. That is astonishing. Yep. I mean, I would, I would, I would fire someone if they did that. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. They quite. would, they would, they would lose, the, they would lose their job. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be working for me anymore. So, um, if, the, if they thought that was that was right. So, the observation that this particular engineer gave was that there was absolutely no regression testing whatsoever, and so there, they, they never, ever, ever did a series of repeatable tests to prove that it worked. And then every well, yeah, time so they added something, they never ran any tests to prove that what they added didn't break the original code. So there's just, it's just this, it's a, it's a house of cards. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the world's best developer by any means, but I, I do, I do help people on their workflows and, and how to write decent code, probably how to write clean code, how to, how to, you know, the, the, your, your methodology and how to write software. And one of the things you do whenever you're writing any kind of software at all is you write tests for it first. Yes. So you will have a test and you'll say, right, given this input, when I do this one thing, this is the output that I expect. And you write the test first, you run the test with no code behind it to make sure that it fails and you're not getting a false positive. You then, you make the test work. Uh, and then when, you know, when the test goes green and it passes, that's fine. What you then do at that point is then you then refactor that tiny bit of code, make it as clean as possible and as easy to understand for the next person. You then move on to the next bit. When you write, when you, when you do the next bit, you write another test, uh, and you make sure that fails and you write your code, uh, to pass that test. What you also do is you run the old test as well to make sure that you're yes. not adversely affecting any other code. And then by the end of the software, you've got this whole suite of tests uh, that, that prove that you're green. So- that, that are all green. With with every with every step of the way, you 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 take some time out and you do some code refactoring, which might be it might be re- removing duplication in your uh, you know you might might have like similar code in different areas, so you remove some duplication. Reusing you might code, tack- yeah yeah you, you might tackle some uh, some some code smells that you know something doesn't look quite right there, even though it works, it doesn't you know it's it's not clean code. You might put a, a like a some kind of a design pattern in there after a while. Once you know that your solution works, you might think you know what I can do this slightly better i'm going to put a pattern in here i've got all my tests so i know that if i put the pattern in i can know whether it passes or fails uh there are all these all these things you do in this refactoring step and you do that every every step of the way so at the end of it you've got clean code that anybody can understand and you've got a series of tests that act as your documentation for that code yes um well and also and this and this, this methodology has been around for 20 years or so so this is yes. not new stuff by any means but but also you're looking at it's not just a yay or nay is it with the with the tests um you might also be looking to see how long a particular computation takes or how long an entire operation um takes and you might be wanting to try and get uh, a, a a response time down um depending on how much calculation there is to do if something takes five seconds then that not might, might not be good if you're waiting if you're, you're keeping a user waiting uh, and so it might pass the test but then you've got to go back and make the software do it in one second or half a second or a tenth of a second but each time you're testing that it actually is doing what you want it to do um, and so you go back, and you, as, you, as you say, you might you might decide to um, join up your code in a in a particularly different way, but it's got to pass the tests, and it's got to pass the tests in either a given time frame or whatever. If you're after efficiency or after time, none yeah, you of don't, that you don't, happened with this. Yeah, and things like you don't you don't tie your tests into the implementation of your code as well, because what lots of people fall into the trap where they think, right, I'm going to do this test-driven development. This is brilliant. Every single method I write, I'm going to wrap a test around it. No, when you go to no, make no. changes down the line, that's just going to cause you pain. So what you do is you you write your tests based on the inputs and the outputs, and you have you know lots of different. For example, these days you tend to write things in microservices, so you have lots of small yes. services that have single responsibilities. So you, you'll write a service yeah. that just does one thing, has an input and an output. You have a few tests around that. That's that done. Then you write another service that will communicate with this, uh, and you you have like you know tests that and then you have of, queuing mechanisms in between and rules surrounding the queues of work and data that flow between those services. 
Yeah, and and, and this is again just to, to reiterate, this is stuff. This these methodologies have been around for twenty years. Yeah. Um, so this, this is this is nothing new. When he wrote this software fourteen years ago, uh, decent software web developers were were doing that. And and like you said, with 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 open source software as well. Um, I mean, I I'm a I'm a massive advocate of, of of open source software. I use it all the time. So the, right now, for example, we're doing this, we're, we're recording this, and I'm I'm using a laptop with with Linux on. Yes. Um, and I'm looking at standard notes, and uh, you know, I, I try and use you know our emails are on ProtonMail, which, which is you know which is open source. The the beauty of lots of this open source software is not that it's free. It's that it's it's available for people to scrutinize so that they can find holes. And you know, if you're if you're privacy concerned like I am, um, open source software is fantastic because p- developers can't stick anything in there onto Ward because it will get found out within five minutes uh, by someone discovering it. Because as soon as as soon as this open software open source software, you know, g- effectively hits the market, there's there are kind of hordes of people who will you know take bits of it, scrutinize it, make sure that it's secure, make sure that it hasn't got any vulnerabilities, and will let, let the developers know otherwise. Um, yeah. So that it, that's just that's just a way to do things. So this this isn't just government here, and you know, we can make a private public sector argument here very very easily, because as you said, person who wrote that would be fired, or certainly they wouldn't. You wouldn't have them working on this, on you know, or, or on software at all, um, if you had them working for you. And what what this was wasn't government directly. But it was a state institution. This is a university. This is a college, and they're they're, they're not they're just not used to working in ways that have been easily proved to be better in the private sector. And so they, Mr. Ferguson and his team, have been thoroughly insulated from good practice because they just haven't been working under the everyday pressures that you and I have been. And that's yeah, and, why and, it's bad. And failure doesn't matter to them. So it's, Whereas it's, it's, failure it's, 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 is so important, not least of which, you know, you've just described there how testing works. I mean, that, that's that's a little microcosm there of, of almost how the economy works in the private sector. It's, you know, things don't work, things don't work until they do, and then you keep them working. I mean, that's that's what it's about. And you try things. See if it works. Doesn't work? Try something different, and the failure is just as important as the success. Yeah, and, and you, again, so you, you would do you do stuff, you break stuff down into small chunks, uh, and, and you try something, and if that doesn't work, you know really early on if you're going to fail, fail quickly. Um, it's I mean, just just think about it. If I was if I was trying to write some some software like this uh, that that had, you know had used some kind of algorithm. And I, if, if I had to make the result different every time, I'm, I'm trying to think how I'll do it. I'd have to put some kind of random number generator in there. And, you and, need to and, read and, it. You need to read it because and, and, what and they keep doing. That. Yeah. Well, what they keep doing is blaming the fact that the 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 algorithm is stochastic. And again, without getting into the, the strictest definitions of this, they're blaming randomness because they're saying it is a feature of it. Um, but what, uh, what this Google engineer goes into is that, look, actually, pseudo-randomness can be very, very handy. But the point is that you need to be able to put the same seed data in in order to get the same outcomes out. And that's not what this does. They are, they are showing, even though this is, you know, Professor Neil Ferguson, a complete lack of understanding 
of the mathematics behind it. And I mean, that's just worrying, isn't it? You know, when- but it's, it's, it, yeah, it, it sounds like it's got so many moving parts. And like you said, perhaps some, perhaps, perhaps some of it is so complicated and it's such a spider's web of code that some stuff doesn't respond in time. And when this particular section of the code doesn't respond... You'll love this. This, this, this. this portion doesn't get a response, but it doesn't fail at that point and say, hang on, I don't have a response. It just carries on regardless. So what you're betraying here is a thorough understanding of how this works because you've picked up on randomness based on what I was saying, and that's very much um, a, in quotes, feature of this. And you've also picked feature. up... <laughs> yes, you've also picked up... I mean, yeah, yeah, we, we, we both talked about this just then. You've also picked up the concept of how the software runs and whether it's running correctly. And one of the things that apparently it can't do properly is run on more than one CPU core. <laughs> so it can't run multi-threaded. And apparently it falls over or it gives crazy results if it runs multi-threaded. You're shaking your head for the benefit of our listener. And this is unbelievable. And and even then, apparently they've and even had it where um, you know oh it works fine on my machine type territory where it only runs on certain types of CPU well, but not on other computers. So we only run it on this one, and we only run it multiple times, and we take the average. I mean, it's crazy. No, no one would run anything based on a bit of software that did that. No one would make any serious decision about any aspect of anything other than the government with removing all of our freedoms that's just that's just crazy i mean it's it's yeah it's it's nobody like that would last five minutes in the private sector no as a as a computer programmer and my last five minutes my my worry at the moment is that the great suppression has almost been caused by accident that's how that's how silly this situation actually is. I, I mean, what, what I find astounding as well is that we've, we've gone through his track record um, and we know how bad he's been uh, at predicting things. So what, why are we even going to this idiot in the, in the first place? You know, he's, he's, had this, he's had this software for 14 years. It's been categorically wrong every single time he's used it. Because in the public sector... We'll failure try again. is rewarded. We are, failure is important, but failure needs to lead to success. <laughs> failure needs to lead to iterative improvement, and he has never shown that to my knowledge. This is this is iterative failure, isn't it? Um... I don't even know if it's iterative. <laughs> it's just <laughs> failure. It's just failure upon compound failure. compound failure, isn't it? Serial failure. That's what it is. Um. So I want to read a little excerpt from you, for for you from uh, the Machinery of Freedom by oh, David D. Friedman. One of yeah, possibly this is probably my favourite book on freedom, and I've I've read I've read I've read quite a few, uh, but this is yes. my absolute favourite. This is the one that that kind of that transformed me into my current my current viewpoint. Uh, I remember I remember getting a recommendation probably about ten years ago, and it just blew me away. So read on. Yes. And uh, I obviously recommend this to everyone, no matter where you are on any kind of political spectrum or just life philosophy. This is a great read. It's an easy read. 
and it'll it'll explain topics that that you have trouble with um, and have trouble thinking about because this guy has got a superb brain. But I read this particular page a couple of nights ago as I was reading through the book, and it's just so prophetic. It's absolutely spot on. And it's on the concept of needs. Okay, so you may remember this as I as I read it, um, but I'm going to read the whole section because I just think it's so important. If we accept the concept of needs, we must also accept the appropriateness of having decisions concerning those needs made for us by someone else, most likely the government. It is precisely this argument that is behind government subsidies to medicine, present and prospective. Medicine, like food, water or air, contributes to physical survival. The kind and quantity of medical attention necessary to achieve some particular end, to cure or to prevent a disease, for example, is a question not of individual taste, but of expert opinion. It is consequently argued that the amount of medical attention people need should be provided free. But how much is that? Some needs can be satisfied and at a relatively low price. The cost of a fully nutritious minimum cost diet, largely soybeans and powdered milk, for instance, is only a few hundred dollars a year. Additional expenditures on food merely make it taste better, which it might be argued is a luxury. But additional medical care continues to bring improved health up to a very high level of medical expenditure, probably up to the point where medicine would absorb the entire national income. Does that mean that we should satisfy our need for medical care by having everyone in the country become a doctor, save those absolutely needed for the production of food and shelter? Obviously not. Such a society would be no more attractive than the life of the man who finally, re- who really regarded his life as infinitely valuable. The error is in the idea that improved health is worth having at any price, however large, for any improvement in health, however small. There is some point at which the cost in time and money of more medical care is greater than the resulting increase in health justifies. Where that point occurs depends on the subjective value to the person concerned of good health, on the one hand, and the other things he could buy with the money or do with the time, on the other. If medical care is sold on the market, like other goods and services, individuals will consume it up to that point and spend the rest of their money on other things. Now, I could go on. Spot on, isn't it? But isn't that amazing? Because he goes on to describe Medicare, the US system. I mean, this is written years ago. He's updated it over the years. But, you know, the the fact that he's talking about curing a particular disease and it, it felt... It felt amusing that, you know, we talked more recently about Boris and the NHS and how I made the prediction that the NHS would become 50% of GDP spending. And and there it is. There's, there's the argument right there that the only way that works is if you have the, the classic won't somebody think of the children angle, which is we must just prevent all death. Um. But, but also, I know what's best for you and what's best for everyone, and you're not allowed to make that decision. It's yeah, it's 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 um, it's 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 awful. I mean, if you think if you think about because he he's very good on people talking about people with their their own individual ends um, and how if you put them all together and try and have like a you know ends for the collective, how that that always ends in failure. 
Um, so yeah, I, I would recommend anybody read that book. I, mean, I remember, I remember speaking to somebody because um, I was struggling with private police forces. That's when I got into this book. I couldn't get my head around how it would work, and and then I read the Machinery of Freedom, and that was it. I, I was I was convinced from, from then on, and, and it, it's so it's so good on a number of different subjects. So yes, a later chapter which I've I've gone through since um, has gone all about um, yeah private law. The, the private sector generation uh, of law, which I'd always been fine with the concept, actually, of police forces and with armies. I got my head around that very quickly on my own, but I've never quite been able to make the mental leap to, um, to law specifically, other than clinging to the idea that the common law was good and that this precedent-setting iterative version of law um, worked. Uh, but that law created by a series of elected representatives was bad. Um, but I couldn't quite see how you would you you would you would get the structures that would create law and have competitive law. The idea, the concept of competitive law, is an absolute mind blower. He gi- he gives some really good examples of, 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 through history of where this has worked in the past as well. It's um, have you is he have you got to the bit where he talks about Ireland yet? Not yet, uh, not yet. Right, uh, you'll love it. You'll love it. Yeah, no, I, I, but I, I'm getting it anyway. You know, and and to to hear the way he describes how how companies would operate, um, it, it it makes you very easy to go. Yes, of course they would. You know, it's not even it's not even difficult to grasp. Um, it he just explains it in a very in a very good way. Um, yeah, so I thought that was worth I thought that was worth saying because it was so clearly related to um, uh, to the current lockdown and the concept of how much we should be spending on it. Um, I've got uh, I've got an observation on the uh, on the on the polls. If uh, if you'd like it, uh, here's something we haven't really discussed, and I don't mean those who come from Poland. Um, I'm talking about polling, uh, uh, and throughout this lockdown, there has been in in the polls they and then these are the same opinion pollsters that do general elections and whatever else um and polling's become a bit more of a hotter topic ever since the brexit referendum the 2017 election even the 2015 yeah shy, shy tories came back because there were shy tories yes in 1992 i believe because the That's polls right. were wrong then yeah, uh, and then the, the concept of the shy Tory was uh, was created, uh, but then polls were pretty good. They were pretty bang number, on, weren't they? A number of years after that, and then and then they got some spect- spectacular failures. In fact, Trump as well, the Trump election victory as well. There's this kind of there was this couple of years where everything went wrong for the pollsters, um, but they were marginal polls. Uh, you know the golden ratio fifty two forty eight, <laughs> which is basically within margins of error. Quite clearly within margins of error, they got it wrong. Yeah, although although they were the, what they were predicting the result would be, though. So, for example, with Trump, they didn't just predict that Hillary would get in. They all the you know something they were predicting that she would trounce him. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, the, the, right, the, right. it's more than a margin of error that they were wrong, but. When you see a poll that says 93% of people support the lockdown, that it becomes a bit more difficult to counter, don't you think? 
Now you said before um, this is the stupid people who even answer a poll and you know all of that. Yeah, so so there's there's you know polls polls only take into account people who are dumb enough to answer polls um, for for a start. But I see I I, I think results like that go in our favour. If ninety if if ninety three percent of people believe there should be a lockdown, you don't need one. Yes. Yes, you, you don't need it. You don't need it. Ninety-three percent of the population are going to stay inside anyway. Yes, then just let the seven percent who, like you and I, who want to go out and go for a go for a bike ride and see our families, let us do that. We'll be fine. You go. You go for your life. You well, stay we in your house. We were some of the earliest ones to follow the social distancing in the first place. We're not idiots. We're you know we we don't want to spread this thing around. We just don't think it's as no. We just severe. want personal responsibility. Exactly. I want people to make up their own minds. Um, I, I think you're right, but I also think so. The polls have also said um, whether or not people would want to lift, you know, uh, that, very much in the support of continuing the lockdown. And uh, even though all the metrics are going in the right direction, even though Sweden, etc., etc., etc. Now, I think that the problem with this is that when asked in this in these polls, people are afraid to make the wrong decision. They're being asked, basically, and I don't know whether I don't think the questions are phrased like this, but I think they're hearing them as if you were in charge, you are the prime minister right now, would you ease the lockdown? And most people, the vast majority of people, don't want to make that decision for everyone. And so they're going, no, because I don't want to be tarred with with that decision, if it goes wrong, this is a classic example of of doing a risk analysis. And so for them, they're not seeing the risks weighed up. They're just going, they're just seeing what the government has been already feeding them, which is if you don't lock down, loads of people die. So for them, it's, well, why would I, why would I possibly make a, a hasty decision? And well, I, also, they also the way the way they're looking at it is that so at the moment the government are telling you to stay in your house, stay at home. That's the that's, that's the, the advice. Stay at home. Yeah. Save the NHS, and then you you know your personal health comes down the line somewhere at some point. But it's yeah. it's stay at home is the message, and they're they're th- they're looking at this and they're thinking that well if the message isn't stay at home, then it must be the government telling you. To, it's okay to go out. It's okay to go out. Yes. You can you can do what you want now. They're not they're not thinking. Oh, hang on, hang on. We still know that this is risky for lots of people. Just be sensible. Use personal responsibility. Do your own thing. Make your own judgment call. We are not telling you to go out and, and, and do what be you silly. Yes, we are just saying that it is now up to you to use your own judgment on this. Yes, uh, I think you're right, um, and I think that when given a life and death question like that, based on the whole population of the UK, they don't want to be seen to be putting anyone in danger, do they? They're not being told, what if it was only you making the decision for yourself? They're being asked about the lockdown across the entire country. And basically, I just don't think you can ever get an accurate poll reading doing that. Asking people life and death questions, it's too emotive. Isn't it? It's too. It's too loaded. Um, well, I think that's why they death, do it. You can't I think pull on it. I think that's why they do it. You know, they'll deliberately ask these 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 questions in in that way to get the answer that they want. That's exactly what they want. They want people to say, "Well, hang on, ninety three percent of the population are with us. Um, therefore, we're doing we're doing what the public wants." 
the people. Well, this is what the people want. The people have spoken. Sheeple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you had another observation on that, um, which I hadn't specifically put together, which was the fact that, I, well, I've been saying it. I've been saying it with regard to Sweden. It's not that I think everyone should be skipping around um, hugging and sneezing on each other. It's that I think you don't need a government forced lockdown. It, this is ending the lockdown in that I want the start of personal responsibility because I think that most people will make the right decisions and will protect those nearest and dearest to them if if they deem it's right to do so. People start dropping dead around you, you're going to change your behaviour, aren't you? If people start getting getting really sick and have to go to hospital, you're going to change your behaviour. And, and they already were. Yeah, and, and this is... So I'd, I'd, I'd like to... Uh, this. I mean, I'd, I'd like pointing out stupidity, obviously, but there's this... One one of the things that just seems crazy to me, um, it's the idea that my personal uh, say say I decide to lock down myself yep. for whatever reason. Maybe I have a respiratory illness already. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't want to contract COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, so I you know I observe social distancing and I'm you know I I, I want to lock down myself shielding this is this is a, so I, again again okay shielding I'm, yeah because I'm running because I'm running a, a, a helping run a company here I have to be all over this stuff and you've got self isolation which is only if you've got the symptoms or you've got the disease and you're staying at home in order to prevent giving it to other people you've got social distancing which is what you and I are basically doing. It's still allowed out. You're still allowed to go to work if you can't work from home, but you stay two metres away from people, you wash your hands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got shielding. That's the third state. Now, that is where someone has been deemed to be medically critically vulnerable. And these are the people that got sent a letter by the NHS. There's another story that's come out today that apparently they sent 100,000 extra letters out to people that didn't need to lock down in that way. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's another telegraph scoop. Um, so it's like 1.5 million people got the letter. 100,000 of those haven't needed to shield. But that's where it's literally don't leave your house. That is, we'll arrange food deliveries for you. Don't leave your house. In fact, if there's someone else in the house with you, go in a separate room. That, 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 that's proper, proper shielding. And that's when you're critically vulnerable. Okay, so, so let, let's say I, I, want to, I want to do this shielding. The idea that my shielding won't work unless 65 million other people shield as well is just, it's balmy. It's, 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 comple- it's complete nonsense. I had this discussion with somebody on LinkedIn today. Who, who who gave me the whole, oh, but one of my relatives needs to be protected. So I said, well, protect them. Protect then. them. That's that's your job as your family. What I do won't affect them. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's it's it showed it showed entitlement as well. So I've I've it it I've seen comparisons with this um with you know your kind of your climate change advocates as well. Um oh yeah well you know, certainly ev- computer models aside <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Aside from the computer models, it's you know the, the whole you know with with climate, it's the whole world needs to change their behaviour so that I don't get, I don't get a bit hotter. And this is the whole world needs to change their behaviour so I don't catch the flu or, or COVID nineteen or whatever. Um, it's just it's it's yeah it's crazy. Um, so you know, personal responsibility has just gone has just gone out the window. 
Even though, as you say, there's there's quite a lot of evidence that that's exactly what people are doing is using yeah. their own judgment. But it, I mean, do you want to do it? Of course. I mean, do, do you want to talk for a second about the deaths that have been caused? But I know this is not a cheery subject, but the deaths that have been caused by the lockdown itself. Oh, it's 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 not nice. Um, so there have been there's been a spike in deaths. There's been a spike in. Yeah. So we're now we're now above the five year average in respiratory deaths. So there has there, there definitely has been a spike in 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 uh, in, in COVID nineteen deaths. There's also been a spike in non COVID nineteen related deaths as well. Yes, for a few um, weeks now. Yeah, 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 and this is this is quite concerning because if you when when you when you start to look at the stats, because obviously lots of people are saying, well, hang on, they might be COVID nineteen related. These might be hidden COVID deaths, uh, but if you look at COVID nineteen deaths, they affect. I mean, they affect certain types of people. See, so they affect the elderly more. Uh, you know, they, they they tend to affect like obese people more. Um, one of the one of the, the things that's, that's easily noticeable is that they affect men more than women. Um, so it's something like sixty forty. Uh, yes, the, the deaths uh, yeah, are, are, are men. Such a sexist disease. Well, yeah. So I, I, I think if you if you get COVID nineteen, obviously the, the the quickest thing to do is to self identify as a woman. <laughs> I um, was about to ask you to, is this to protect sex or yourself. Yeah, you're right. Um, I need to. So, I mean, I wonder how it's affecting the trans community. No, let's not even go there. Not even. Let's not even go there. Yeah. And anyway, but these these other these other non COVID deaths are something like I think they're approaching seventy to thirty women. So there is no way on earth these are hidden COVID deaths. These, uh, they're, 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 and there have been thousands sure, of these deaths right. um, that, that have spiked since the lockdown. Um, and there's, there's there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that the lockdown is saving lives anyway. I mean, we've got how many hundreds of thousands of hospital beds do we now have in, in Nightingale and all these other all these other hospitals? Well, they're shutting them down. They didn't get um, used. Yeah, so it's it's it, it's crazy. The, the, Were you, you aware? Know, are you aware of the of the stats on um, undiagnosed cancers? No, is this going to sadden me? Oh, totally, totally. Um, there's there's normally something like twenty five thousand a month of diagnoses of of cancers that haven't happened in the last month. Twenty five thousand people. Uh, yeah, th- these things don't just change overnight. There are twenty five thousand people out there that under normal circumstances, would be getting treatment now or be getting the all clear, and uh, you know, would certainly be being investigated, and they're all people that have stayed at home to protect the NHS. But they're protecting their NHS. This is Operation Human Shield again. They're protecting it with their lives. They may not be dying right now, but they, they're almost certainly going to die in the future because they weren't diagnosed early enough. Because as everybody knows... The best chance of surviving cancer is an early diagnosis and an early treatment. That's that's unbelievable. I mean, so shocking, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Britain. So Britain is outstandingly bad when it comes to cancer. So we are we uh, are we, we're not we are horribly, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We are horribly slow at getting diagnoses in the first place compared to lots of other European systems and other systems around the world. It takes a lot longer to get a cancer diagnosis over here. Than it, than it than it is in 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 you know in in, in tens of other tens of other systems. Um, one other thing as well is that we are we we are sadly so bad once you get cancer because people often mm. will often 
take some statistics like the average life expectancy of people in Britain and then say, well, therefore, the, the average life expectancy is pretty high, therefore the NHS must be good. That, that's, that's the rationale. You know, we live quite a long time, therefore our healthcare system must be good. If you if you look at the stats and if you look at the figures for your life expectancy once you've been diagnosed with cancer in Britain compared to other European countries, we are catastrophic. You get diagnosed with cancer in Austria or Germany or Sweden or Denmark and lots of other places. You've got a far, far greater, greater chance of survival than you have in Britain because we are just terrible at it That's so awful. we have overall a, a, a high life expectancy because we're just reasonably healthy what, it's nothing to do with the healthcare system what, what i don't get i mean look there's lots of things i don't get about this um this situation and the the fact that so much was done even though you know oh 20 odd thousand deaths of seasonal flu in you know 2015 or whatever you know and I, yes we're higher than that now but it's not like we haven't seen things in this in this area before. Well, we've had thirty-five to forty quite often. Yeah. We had we actually had quite a mild winter this time. So we yes. had we had we had a really low uh, this time. So you know it, it was inevitable that the, the normally what happens is you have like a, a mild winter, and then the next year, uh, lots of the this is really sad. But lots of the people who would have died that year will die the year later. They'll die the year the later. Thing. Absolutely, absolutely. But who thought it was a good idea? And why, or why, or why on earth did they not get pushback from the people actually working there? Why did they shut other areas of healthcare, like cancer treatment and diagnosis? Why? What? 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 What possible meeting did they have where somebody said, "Right, what I need to do? The only way that I'm going to be able to treat." All of these patients that are going to get COVID nineteen is I need to stop treating cancer patients, and and how did somebody not say at that point, hmm, how many people with cancer will die then? And they actually had to start in the last couple of weeks. The government had to start making announcements saying, oh yeah, yeah, you need to you need to go. We're we're reopening those services now. It's that to me is one of the biggest scandals of this entire entire suppression. Yeah, who 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 made the judgment that COVID nineteen is worse than cancer? Yeah, worse than cancer. That's what I want to know. That's it's pretty horrible, isn't it? So, so uh, which before before we get into anything else, which which scotch are you drinking? Because I'm going I'm going to just finish I my have already poured, Corona yeah. beer. Oh, very good. I bet that's cheap. I bet you got that on offer. It is. It is at the moment. I'm drinking Johnny Walker Green Label. Ah, nice. that was is, the one. That was the one that was available. The not available, available, not available. Is yeah, that exactly, one? exactly. Um, uh, so yeah, so for a while, I I nursed a bottle for for years and years because it wasn't available, and then they brought it back. Uh, this is pretty much the only blend I have. I've only got a couple of blends, mainly single malts that I've got. Yeah, um, I, only, I only have one. So that's a blend, but it's a blend of, I believe, four single malts because a lot of these blended whiskies, they're like they're, they're they're quite a large proportion. It's just like a like a like a, a grain, um, you know, like a really kind of standard bland grain spirit that they use to pad it out, and then they put like a few single malts in. That is just pure single malts. Um, I mean, and the the only blend I have is the bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. That you and brother number three bought me um, on my wedding day. 
Yes, um, that was your wedding present. I've been nursing that for years as well. Yeah, um, but I've got I've got some Tamnavulin. Tamnavulin. Um, I'm yeah. not sure I've had that. I had some round at uh, at Simon's, and it was quite nice. Um, Brother number three. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is a very I'm easy sure. drink. Right. I felt like I wanted to just keep keep sipping this evening, so that's why that's why I've got this. Right. Your health, sir. Cheers. Um, so I've got uh, something else I want to talk to relating to our glorious NHS, the, the okay. heroes. Um, and it, it was around um, somebody tweeting about universal basic income. And obviously at the moment in the States, they've basically been just sending people free money. It's the, it's the equivalent of our furlough scheme over here. But our furlough scheme is about people who have got a job and then meet certain criteria and all this. Um, isn't, it, isn't it something like, isn't it close to 60% or something of people? That it's are over 50, I know that, that much. It, yeah, it's it, definitely it, over half. It, it's a communist dream at the moment. The government is paying people's wages. Um, and so there's all this talk again of universal basic income has come out because it's nonsense. But it got me thinking about two things. One was the observation that universal basic income, just the the giving of money to everybody for free, not really free, obviously, giving of money, a flat rate of fee money for everyone. That has been done already, and it's the NHS. This is universal basic healthcare, isn't it? It's <laughs> <With it>. basic. <laughs> but that's why, I, that's why specifically I coined it like that. It is not an income. This is universal basic healthcare. And so... By very definition, you've got to top it up with other stuff because this is the expensive version that you that is just given to everyone that is run by the government and therefore it's rubbish. I mean, I I wish I wish it were the case. I wish it was just a universal basic healthcare and that you were expected to to, to pay for, for more if you wanted it. A so, bit like a bit like they've got in they've got in, you know, you know the, the schemes they've got in Germany. Yes. Yeah, where it's, where it's a lot easier to top up your healthcare with other things. In fact, in Germany, they have a fantastic system where you can actually opt out. So you can you can opt out of the whole kind of national yes. uh, scheme. Oh, I mean, and you can that's say to die for, isn't it? Yeah, right. I, I would love that. So here's a question for you. Now, it's not the libertarian solution, okay? And so I don't want you to immediately go, yes, but it's the government, so it's bad. So I'm just framing that for you now <laughs> as trying to talk about. Because we like doing what-if scenarios, and we want to see whether things will just be better. You've just described a system there that is still not great because it's still taking money from everyone else, but at least maybe you get the chance to, to not have your money taken for that particular aspect, and that's the system in Germany. Now, what if the, um, the universal basic income concept was taken for the NHS and you were all given, rather than given the money, What if the NHS is no longer a system. It's no longer healthcare provided for by the government. But UBI is for healthcare. So it's a voucher scheme, basically. So you are given money. It's a purely redistributive system in order that people can pay for healthcare. Okay, so what happens when you have um, so playing devil's advocate here? What this happens- is the whole point? This is the whole point. I want to have this discussion. 
what happens when you have if, if you if you can't if that money is not enough for your healthcare because your particular needs require that you have something uh, that you may have had from birth. Uh, so it's not something that you can track and you can get insurance and then suddenly your insurance will cover it. You have some condition that is just extremely expensive. What happens then? Well, what happens in a private system? Well, in a private system, we, we look after these people. So why wouldn't they people be looked after? So how is this how is this better than a private system then? I'm not saying it's better. I'm right. In fact, I'm saying wouldn't it be better? This is what I want to explore. Wouldn't it be better than the NHS if the actual provision was done by the private sector? And I I know we can find the flaws in this very easily. But if the provision was done by the private sector and that all that was done was the redistribution of the money in order to, you know, give money to people to pay for the healthcare. So you, I mean, yeah, you, you're taking you, from the rich, giving to the poor in order yeah. to level it out a bit specifically for healthcare. But the provision of it is done by entirely private companies. Wouldn't I that mean, you, be better than the NHS? You you and I you and I know that, that that would be better than our current system. But I think the issue with that is that the the bit that you've gotten rid of um, is the bit that's the hardest stumbling block for for anybody. You know, the idea that somebody could have, uh, you know, could have these expensive conditions and have to rely on on the, the you know the charitable Charity. exploits of others. Yeah, uh, that's that's the that's the bit that they that they don't like more than anything else. So I, I would absolutely agree that that would be better than, than than what we've currently got. But I think it's I, I don't see that happening any any time soon. I think I think the arguments for universal basic income are that certain benefits are removed as part of it, aren't they? It's about rolling things together. And I'm saying that what if you did healthcare as one of those benefits? Yeah, I mean some some people do. So I, I would be and again, in in when we're when least we least worst can, territory. Yeah, when we're when we're kind of comparing different systems, I am I'm I would completely acknowledge that you that we could there there is a there is a way to implement universal basic income over here that will be better than the system that we currently have um you know but it, it would require removal of basically every other benefit entire departments would the, go. the entire the, the department of work and pensions would, would go for example um that will be completely abolished you're fired uh, and we'll replace it with it with the ubi that yeah that could possibly be better than, that wouldn't be my ideal solution but that will be better than, than than what we have now um so yeah, so on a like a moral relativism um, uh, scale, I yeah I, I accept that, that that is better. Step in the I right think, direction. I, th- I think people would struggle with, um, with 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 that way of doing healthcare though, because people would still ultimately people want if, if you've got a. I mean, I think it would be easier to get a system that, for example, uh, only catered for, the, for for those who couldn't afford it. Yes, and, th- and this is this is this is my question to anyone who loves the NHS is like. Why, why, why does the NHS have to cater for everybody? Surely there must be a certain proportion of people who don't need their health care provided for by the state, even if they still have to pay in through tax uh, to, 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 to help everybody else. Why does the NHS have to be so big? I can pay for my own health care. You know, I, I would prefer to get a, even if it's not, even if I can't opt out like I can in Germany, uh, if I could perhaps reduce my tax burden a little bit, and I will just put in the money that goes to everybody else, but the health, the money that comes from me that goes to my healthcare, 
I will have that back, please. Thank you very much. And I'll have my own private healthcare. Why Why can't I do that? Why does the NHS have to provide for everybody? Why does it have to be so big and so cumbersome and this, this monopoly? It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, and I always, I, I know we've talked about this before, I always compare it with, say, a national food service. Would you want a national food service? You can't survive without food. So would you want the state to provide food for everybody, including the rich? Is, is that a good idea? Or can perhaps people choose their own level of food? And can perhaps people earn a little bit more and think, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna have slightly, healthcare is important to me, so I want slightly better healthcare. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to spend money on that. Other people will think, you know what, I'm fit and healthy. It's not worth my while. If I get ill, I don't mind go having in some rubbish hospital bed, you know, because it's unlikely to happen. I'm, I'm going to make a risk-based assessment here. And I'm going to spend my money on food because I love food and, and let people make and, their own And this decisions. is this is the David D. Friedman angle there, isn't it, about individual needs uh, and, and, that, and that being something that depends on your own personal values. Now, what I want to lead this on to a bit, which is moving away from healthcare, actually. So we're kind of going completely off coronavirus topic now entirely although i'm happy to bring it back later if you still I'm, stuff I might you bring about. it back in a few minutes that, yeah. that's fine but this i think i'm hoping you'll find this a useful diversion because we talk about the state we talk about the state being um a regulator we talk about the state in terms of state ownership of things such as healthcare, like the nhs having a virtual monopoly uh certainly as a virtual monopoly it has a monopoly on things like emergency care uh, and, and things like that, uh, because you can get private health insurance, but it tends to stop um, before it gets to things like emergency care. You can't really call a, you know, you can't call a private ambulance in the same way um, as, uh, as you can to arrange a, a type of operation. What about if the state, this is, this is my little what if experiment for you. I'm surprising you with this one. What if the state only redistributed money it taxed and it redistributed based on nonsense democratic decisions but it not a regulator not an owner of any state services whatsoever was only there to redistribute from rich to poor in some magic formula it's difficult to say whether that would be better or worse because obviously obviously the, the worst thing about about the state paying for stuff and about statism is that the people who get the people who get their money aren't reliant on you know it's 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 too it's too abstract so you know in the private sector i want a service a good or a service i pay money to that particular company to get it if they don't do a good job they're not getting my money again, and I'm telling everybody. Um, if that company gets their money from the state, there's a level of abstraction there, so they're, they're not really as responsible to me as they would be under any normal system. Um, so, I mean, it, it could be better, I guess. I, no, I'm talking um, about. I'm not talking about um, companies getting the money, though. I'm talking about redistribution personally. I'm talking about, and again, I, I'm not making any comment here about. Tax still being theft, okay? This isn't voluntary, but I'm saying if there was a state that was wholly redistributive in terms of we're in the top earners, so we pay more tax, and that gets given to people in a universal basic income or something like that. But the point right. is, so, so you're, not so you're saying in the state, services. Right, so the state would 
assess your situation and mine and say, you're yeah. both earning quite a bit of money, so we're going to take that away from you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it will assess somebody else and say, okay, you're not earning very much money. I'm going to give you, you some a of that. family of four. I'll give you this cash. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that, that, it's, that, not, that, it's not regulatory or anything like that. It doesn't own any of the services. It doesn't run any of the services. Everything's private, but you've got a redistributive system. Yeah, miles better. Mile, <laughs> mile, miles better. What, uh, what sure. wouldn't work? Um, what wouldn't work is that people would, uh, some people would spend their money, perhaps not as wisely as they should, and people would still, you know, people people perhaps wouldn't be spending it on healthcare or whatever, there, and then bad things would happen because of people's personal decisions, and the whole public, instead of saying, you know what, that's his personal decision, he had the money and he blew it, and that's his fault, would say. But think of the children. These people aren't clever enough to look after their own lives. We need to look after them for them. We're no longer giving you this money. We're going to give you an NHS. I think that's what would happen. Yeah, you, I mean, it, it's. I mean, it, obviously, it's implausible. Um, so, I mean, it would I be think, great. It's a pipe dream, think, but well, but you see, you're right. It, it, yes, it's an improvement because actually, we've got that anyway. We've got the redistribution. And it would just be taking away all the other bad aspects of the state that we've talked about. You're saying it would lead to those bad aspects. I think that's entirely plausible. Um, I mean, it could it could lead to people not, you know, it, it's it's one of those things you don't you don't want people to be. Well, I want to talk about the disincentives. Exactly, you don't want to be people to be stuck in benefits. So yes, the, the I, levels I of these things would make it would make a huge difference as well. And what it's doing is disincentivizing earning more. So why would you want to earn more if it keeps getting taken away? And certainly if more and more of it gets taken away, that's a problem we currently face. That's a problem you face in this. But also, yes, I think there'd be a trap, the benefit trap, um, whereby you're encouraged to be rubbish. Oh, God, yeah, that's a very good know, There is currently a furlough trap in that people don't want to go back to work because they are, you know, it's not that... It's like you say. It's not like the American system where they're just kind of giving people money. It's they're deliberately giving people money and and they can't work. Um, so it's Albeit yeah. There's, there's, there's a, lot a trap of them there. Are I, I I don't know how in any way, shape, or form they're going to police it, and they probably haven't been. The rules say you cannot work. But I know, I I know of at least three people in different organisations uh, that are still working, even though they're on furlough. Because as a company owner, I'm not saying we're doing this, but as a company owner, it must be very tempting to go, hmm, I can keep going and the government pays the wage bill. Sounds good. And so I absolutely know, know people that are breaking the rules, and they don't mind. The, the individual workers, they don't mind. They get, but they get their wages paid. Does, who, what does it matter if it's the state paying their wages or their boss paying their wages? Their boss turns around yeah. and says, oh, would you mind doing some work for us? Well, yeah, because otherwise the boss could, could easily say, look, if you don't do this, we're going to go under, and you yes. won't have a job, and you'll have to find a new job. Therefore, yes. I'm asking you, I'll to, have to, make to, you redundant. to keep to keep doing your job uh, and to say that you're furloughed, otherwise yes. it will be redundancy. And, yes. and what can pe- what can anybody do under those circumstances? You can't. You cannot blame anybody for doing that. No. And to be honest, even 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 a, it's it's difficult to blame a company owner for doing that as well. If, if that I agree, that they're be the, 
that could, but that but even even aside from the fact that they're incentivized to do it to make money, that genuinely could be the difference between them going under and then yes. not going under. Yes, um, based in, in on their case, complete lack case, of demand, be based on the yeah. demand for their products and services going through the floor. Yeah, because of the government in the first place. Because because of the because because, because of the lockdown, while we're while we're just going well while we've, we've moved, you've back brought to the it back nicely to the lockdown. By the way, well yeah. Done. So this is this is. Just, I remember. I think it was on the last podcast, and I I made a bit of a flippant comment about you? bread lines, and I know it doesn't sound like me, does it? But I, I made a bit of a flippant comment about bread lines and you know furlough schemes and the police state. And I said, "Isn't you know? Doesn't it's like a you know? It's 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 left wingers must be rubbing their hands together at everything." And you you made the again quite a quite an understandable comment. Ah, but is it really left wing? Is it is is it not like a a right wing solution? And I've been thinking about this a little bit more, um, and I still think, generally speaking, it's probably it's probably more left than right. But it was it was one of those things that I had to I had to really think about. Okay, so why is this? Remember we talked about before um, uh, about people who could you know say if you can if you can spot like a painting um, that's yes, like a fake. I brought this up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know it when you, you see it. You know, you know it's a fake, but you, you have to kind of think about it more. And this is a bit like this for me, and I'm, I'm sure this is left wing, but I need to I need to I need to kind of process this in, in my brain. Um, and I've been trying to kind of. T- to narrow it down why and i think the biggest i mean there there are a number of reasons but i think the biggest reason that it feels even even though there are certain right-wing areas and right-wing solutions to the problem it feels like overall it's like a we're kind of yielding to the to the left wingers is because of the collectivization of everything so we're currently we're treating fit young healthy 25 year olds the same as 80 year olds yes it's it yes. just feels like collectivization everybody is the same we cannot possibly treat people differently you're all the same and and that's it and and it's even even though there are right wing solutions that overall collectivization it's the universality uh, of it yeah feels they couldn't possibly say okay you know what 80 year olds perhaps you should stay in Everybody else make or even, yeah make up your own decisions. It's all you're all the same. You all have to stay in, even though the you know the the the, the death rate for under forty fives is basically zero. They're yes. treating everybody the same, which is the you know kind of left wing one hundred and one. It it is. I mean, the shielding rules that I talked about earlier. They are about the only exception to this. The people on this kind of top critical list. Um, sure. Uh, but but you're right, and you see, I've wanted to do um, I've wanted to do a podcast for ages on equality. I mean, what a topic! Um, but it would the, have to be a series. Yes, exactly. Um, so much there. But but you're you're hitting a point it right here, and and it, you are you are brought up to 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 believe that equality is good, that in any and all its forms equality um is good and it's amazing and it is the desired outcome and it is something we should be journeying journeying towards and obviously in terms of um of a of oppression of minorities and things like that um that you know of 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 course humanity needs to move forward and um uh, and 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 end 
historic prejudices. Prejudices, but to me, as soon as I started getting into, um, into getting into what communism was, um, and getting into um, you know, individualism for one of a broad term for for the kind of freedom kind of policies and stuff that we talk about, um, it was it was the notion that equality is bad. Um, and that equality um, is oh yeah, so you're wrong. Brooks got the book. I've been meaning to buy it. Equal is unfair. Um, he's one of the only people that that out loud says it. Um, but if if you're if you're treated equally, which is exactly how the left wants to do things, uh, then then you will it will be lowest common denominator. Always, it is. It's the NHS. Uh, and it's universal basic income, and it's all of this, and there's no recognition of difference at all. Yeah, I mean, this is, and this this goes again. This is another left wing trick in that it depends on your definition of equality, doesn't it? They they, they have absolutely they have absolutely changed the definition. The way that if you if you if you go by the you know the, the dictionary definition of, of equality and it being that everyone is everyone is treated the same. Well, equal every, rights used to it, be a term. For, for example, yeah, exactly. That's it. E- equal equal rights, equal under the law. This kind of thing. Um, that makes sense. Yes. But it's when they start talking, uh, you know, and when they start kind of changing the definitions of what it actually means to be yeah. to be equal. Uh, and they've done it with they've done it with the term liberal, of course. You know, technically, lib- yeah, being a liberal is a is a is a good thing. You know, I would I've described myself as being like yes. a radical liberal before, yeah. but then then they change the definitions and say, okay, well, this is this is the liberal response to that. When what they mean is this is a left wing response. The same way with freedom, they 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 change the definition of freedom. And they say, oh, but so and so isn't free to do that. No, they are free. They just have the means to do that. Um, yes. So it's it's yeah it's 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 one of their one of their little evil tricks of, of, of changing changing. But also, nobody thinks about things. That's why I was kind of keen to stress that I actually think that the term "think" um, is is underrated. If you say to someone, "Well, I think that," well, "I think it's this," you tend to say it in such a way that that is caveating. It's saying. I'm actually not sure. I only think this. I don't know it. If I know it, I'm sure. If I think it, I'm not so sure. And I don't know where that's come from in our language, but I think it's a real problem because I think there's a real (laughs) lack of thought. I know I'm using the phrase badly as I say it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But I... I, I want the term "I think" to really mean something again. I want it to mean I've I have thought about it. I think it. I I this is something that I have spent time on. Yeah, the diff- the, the difficulty is that there is thinking and there is thinking. So everybody has thoughts. Everybody has thoughts. Everybody thinks. Very few people think about their thoughts. So yeah. most people have a thought in their head, and that's it. They do, they just take it for granted, and they just run with it. Uh, people like you and I do what's called critical thinking, and I I, I sometimes like to, to think of it as like meta thinking, where you're you're thinking about your actual thought. You have a thought, and then you think about that thought and think, okay, is this? Am I right in this? Can I challenge it? Can I you know can I can I kind of look at this from different angles? Well, I think uh, I think and, that's, and then you, that's critical. That's how you come thinking. to looking. It is, yeah, but nobody does that. No, I think I think I think a, probably a better definition of meta meta thinking would be um, would be thinking about how you should think, uh, thinking about thinking. 
as opposed to just critiquing your thoughts, which is critical thinking. Right, yes. So there's thinking about your thoughts and thinking about how you think of your thoughts. Yes. Right. That's another level. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Inception, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's, yeah, but yeah, I mean, and you're right. And the the way, so the way people, the way people approach stuff in general, whether it's thinking or anything, they don't, (laughs) they don't, they don't think about it. So things like people, people will always say, it's a throwaway term now, the term think. It's a throwaway term. Yeah. But, but, but people, and, and, for example, whether it comes to anything, whether it's like, for example, learn, let's say we're learning a musical instrument, you will, I guarantee you'll have been told at some uh, many times within your life, practice makes perfect. Yes. Yeah? No, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Perfect practice makes perfect. You can't just practice and expect to get perfect. You need to think about how you're practicing. You need to structure it. You need to focus on your weak points. You need to tackle this in a, in a really structured, clever way. And then you'll get perfect. Don't just practice. It's like thinking. Don't just think. Think about thinking. Think about how you think. Think about your thoughts. And yeah, that's, that's the difference between, you know, so a, a small portion of people and everybody else. So my son, um, who is coming up to eight, uh, he is aware from school. This is classic, classic school, okay, of the term trial and error, okay? We've all we've all heard of the term, and you say, "Oh, that's just trial and error, as a means of improvement." And what I said to him as soon as he said to me, "Trial and error," I was like, "Right, I'm going to take that concept, but I want to improve it quite specifically because I want you to understand the actual process that you're going to go through, and I want you to keep repeating this mantra rather than trial and error." And I've not read this anywhere. This is this is just something I've come up with. But what I said to him was, what, what you actually do is you try something. It fails. That's the error. Then it's not just straight to improvement. I've heard some other people, I, I remember one science, science teacher I had in A-level a or whatever saying, it's trial and improvement. It's not trial, it's trial and improvement. It's like, no, that's also skipping out an important point. But actually, all of you are skipping out the most important point. Trial error thought improvement and in yeah, fact it's, it's, another i was going to say it's, it's analyzed well. it's it's analyzed it's yes. the analysis I afterwards think, that, that's... yeah trial error thought actually trial again improvement but it's the thought bit and i drummed it into him i said what's the point of just trying the same thing again because you'll get the same error again or even you need to even, think even, about it even even if you take it to the stage where i've tried that it doesn't work I'm going to try something else. What are you trying? Yes, why are you trying why? that next thing? What have you learned from that last experiment yeah. that hasn't worked? And why? What? What is basing your decision on the on the next thing you're going to try? And this is this is so I'm 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 really hot on on failure, as you know. And this is this is yes. In fact, this is the thing you wanted me to give a talk at your work at before yeah. the before the lockdown. Before if this on, all happened, on, yeah. On how to fail because there, there is an absolute there's a science to failure. Um, and 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 you know it, do, it doesn't just mean that you know you, that you have to fail you know but but there are things Andrew, that you can do. I thought there are things want, there are things you can do to... to talk about failure, and I thought you were the absolute right person. <laughs> but there are there are things you can do so that, for example, if you're doing something complicated, what you could do is you could engineer it so that if it's going to fail, 
it's going to fail as early as possible. And you get the feedback. Fail quickly. You do, you do the analysis. You fail. Yeah, exactly. You fail fast. You fail early. And you learn from that. And, and, and then you move on. Um, so there are ways. To, there are ways to fail. And there are, you know, there, there are ways to, to learn after you and, and different ways to learn after your failure. Um, I can't. Which, again, people just don't think about these things. I can't, I can't help but think about our current situation again when you say this. And to see, you know, now businesses are failing and not because of any of their making. And government is running out of money because of their decisions. And people are dying, not from COVID-19, because of government decisions. And, and countries, and countries process, that don't have lockdowns are now re- realising that they're up past the peak as well. Look at Sweden. Yes, exactly. Look at Sweden. But... This process that you and I have just outlined in a number of ways is just not followed by the state, frankly, ever. And so there's no backtracking. There's there's no, right, this lockdown, that did some bad stuff, so I'm going to tweak it a bit. I'm going to change it. I'm going to try something a bit different. That just doesn't happen. And about, you know, to their, to their credit, centrists, like to talk the talk on trying things and on best practice. But as we highlighted last week, um, they are in just practice, ideological, aren't they? In practice, that's just a smokescreen to make them look good because actually they already think they know the answer and they're not willing to try anything else at all. No, and on on that on that cheery note, um, do you have do you have anything else? We've we've been going for almost an hour and a half now. It's That's almost a getting a long it's almost, one. It's almost getting onto like a Joe Rogan podcast now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's not quite that bad. Um, look, we are we're we're coming up to yeah, it's Wednesday. We'll probably release this tomorrow. Sunday is when Boris is going to do his address to the nation, presidential style upsetting Keir Starmer for not doing it in Parliament first. And the leaks are already coming out. We've got Public Health England preparing to take down every single stay-at-home message on all their literature and all their websites. Now, that's big. Removing stay-at-home. Well, what else could you replace that with? You know, they're obviously going to replace it with other messaging, but removing stay-at-home specifically... That's big. That says people are going to start going out. The fact that it's been leaked today says people are already going to start going out. They know this stuff happens. It's factored in, isn't it? That, you know, early early adopters, so to speak. People will break the curfew now. Um, we've also got Boris in PMQs today saying, stuff I announced, some of it is going to take effect on Monday. We're going to ease some restrictions on Monday. Again, I think that means that certain people are going to start easing their own restrictions right now and get ready for it. Bank holiday weekend, VE Day celebrations. I'm going to be interested to see whether or not the police actually break up any street parties for VE Day. Uh, This is what I think is going to be interesting on Friday. Um, But I really hope that we are at the beginning of the end. I mean, it's hope beyond hope. But Boris was thoroughly unimpressive when he came back from hospital and when he made his speeches. Um, 
we we shouldn't have carried on. We have carried on. I don't think there's going to be a full st- full scale relaxation announced for Monday, but something is clearly. Um, we've got to hope that it's back in the direction of freedom and that we get more after that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would, I would, I would rather. Again, this is this is all kind of moral moral relativism again. But um, I would rather, I would rather things were phased, you know, phased back in, than than wait for everything to be perfect and then do it in in a big bang approach. Um, I, I I agree. Obviously, obviously, I, obviously, I would like it that they just said, you know what, we either we we passed it now or you know what, hands up, we've made a mistake. You can all, you, you know, use your own personal responsibility and, 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 and to make sense of this and to come to your own conclusions. Um, but fail, failure to do that, if they just said, you know what, let's just relax some of these laws now. Um, that would well, be and I them. hope that the announcement is, you know, week one this, week two that, week three that. That's what people want. People want to be able to plan. People want a sense of, they want some certainty um, in uh, in what they're planning for. And actually planning for tomorrow suddenly being able to do everything that, that's quite big and so actually being able to phase these things in saying okay right work first then schools then this or schools first then work then you know whatever uh, cafes then restaurants then yeah or would, see your families now and, yeah. and then your friends and a week later etc etc exactly all, i mean all of that would would make some sense i did hear that from a psychological perspective um habits are formed in something like 20 days. And so the the psychology of this is that people have now got used to it. And so that actually withdrawing it straight away, removing the restriction straight away is more difficult. And so you again you've got to ease it in and it's got to yeah, take just some rip, time. Just rip that band-aid off. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> but but I I get it. I do even from a business perspective, being able to, it, it, it was a rush. It was a rush getting people to work from home and all this kind of stuff. And so, oh, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but I think let individual businesses make their own decision on how they're going to do that. Yes, and not and, and don't and don't mandate it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would. So, so I've got, I've got, I've got a, you know, um, a whole team of people. Um, you know, working you've from home literally 100%. never met. Oh, I know, I know. I've had. I. I so my. How my, many weeks? My, how many weeks have you been at the new job now? Uh, I don't know. It was in. Three, it was in March. It was four? in. No, longer than that. It was. It, it was the middle of March. I, right. I left. Oh, okay. I left my current contract, or my, I left my last con- last contract, <laughs> in the middle of March, and I was hoping to have a few weeks off. I ended up having three days off. Yes. Um. And because the plan was that I would start work. And we would ease people into working from home because the plan for this for, for yeah. my company was always to work from home, and to always to recruit people further afield because we couldn't find um, as you know of course as, as many as many developers of a certain quality and a certain caliber in the local area or yeah or the area of the, of the company which is in Wales. Sure. So we needed to look further afield. So the, the plan was to implement um, you know remote working and, and a distributed team, which is where I come in because I specialize in that. Uh, but then the, then, then the kind of you know COVID nineteen came along, and my boss said, "Look, 
can you start you know can you start right away so i ended up starting a lot a lot sooner but i've i've never met him i've never met my team i've never i've never been to the the headquarters i did everything over skype and zoom and you know remotely and i have you know i i have calls with my team every day uh, i've never met any of them it's just really i mean i've i've worked from home quite a quite a bit because i as i said I, I specialize in not just remote working but distributed teams so i've, I've often managed yeah. teams that are all over the world um but i always meet the first i always go you know i, I might spend a couple of weeks in the office and, and get to know people then and then we'll start to yeah start to work from home i've never met anybody it's really really weird this, I mean, so I can't, I can't wait for the lockdown to end, so I can just drive over there and just say hi. It's me. Yeah, You've never met me, but I've been, I've been managing your team for, for the past two months. Um, yeah, I find crazy. it fascinating. Um, I think that uh, your experience, the whole experience, recruitment through to now. Um, I mean, that's that's the most modern techno gig economy way of getting a job and having a job and and performing your job that there is. Isn't it? And, I, and I've, I've, so I've recruited people since, since being there. Really? So I've, recru- I've recruited five new people who I've never met and nobody else has ever met as well. Oh, it really is inception at that point, isn't it? Yeah, the, it's crazy. The person I've crazy. never met has hired people that they've never met. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but but it's all it's all going well. Um, it's, it's all going well, which is which is good. But I would I, I cannot wait to meet my team. There's no substitute. There absolutely is no substitute for it, and uh, let's let's end. You can get ready with the music now. Uh, let's end with I'm looking forward to us sitting in the same room. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping that next time we can we we can do this. So uh, thank you for listening to Sounding Board. Uh, you can find us on the web at soundingboard.com and on your favourite podcast app. Okay, that wasn't the timing wasn't quite right, but I'm hoping that'll be I'm hoping that'll be forgiven. (laughs) 